if you had a deadly disease and you were dying and I came running to you, I came running to you and I said, I, I have the cure for your disease. I have the cure. I have the remedy, the cure for this disease that is killing you. All you have to do is take it. All you have to do is receive it, to take it for yourself. I think most, if not all of us, would take it. Amen? Right? Isn't that right? I think most, of, if not all of us, would take it. The reality, however, is that there would be those who would not take it for whatever reason. Whether it be skepticism, whether it be doubt, whether it be self-reliance, whether it be whatever it is, there would be those that would not take it. Even if it were proven to them that this remedy was curing people all over the world, there would be some who would still reject it for different reasons, but they would reject it. It is the same with the remedy, the cure, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each person has a deadly disease called sin. And the only cure, the only remedy, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed on Calvary. There are some, even when presented with the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, reject it. They have their reasons. They have their case. They have their points all lined up. But they reject it. And this brings us to the seventh parable in the kingdom parables. The final parable of what are known as the kingdom parables. Tonight we will look at the parable of the dragnet. In this, this parable, we'll see the importance of not rejecting Jesus. Amen? And so tonight, let's look at this parable of the dragnet and this whole idea of the importance of not rejecting the remedy, the cure, the Christ. Amen. Let's pick it up. Matthew chapter 13. Let's pick it up in chapter, uh, verse uh, 47. It says, Jesus said this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down, and they gathered the good into vessels, but they threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. The parable of the dragnet. This is the seventh parable. We have the parable here. This is the seventh parable in what scholars have called the kingdom parables. But I also want to group this together with another group of parables called the separation parables. We're in this chapter 13 of the seven kingdom parables, but Jesus taught three specific parables that you could classify 
as what's called the separation parables. And the reason they're called the separation parables is because they teach a principle of separation, a a principle of ultimate separation in the end of good and evil. And so you have two of those separation uh, parables right here in chapter 13 within the kingdom parables. We had the wheat and the tares. Remember that? And the wheat and the tares grow up together. And at the end of the age, uh, the Lord is, will send out his angels and to gather all of the wheat and the tares, and they'll gather the tares into bundles, and the, the bundles of tares will be cast into the fire, but the, the wheat will be, what, gathered into his barn. And remember, Jesus told us the meaning that the, the saints are the, the wheat, the saints of God that have been redeemed, they're the wheat, and we will shine like the stars of heaven in the glory of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So you have the parable of the wheat and the tares. You have the parable that we're going to look at tonight, the dragnet. And then there is one more of the separation parables, and you find that later in the Gospel of Matthew, and that is called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And there will be the separation of the sheep and the goats. And so tonight we're looking at this separation parable, this kingdom parable, and it, there is a separation of good and bad uh, here at the end with this dragnet parable. So let's take a look at the elements of the, the parable. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. Every kind of what? Every kind of fish, right? Every kind of fish in the sea, the dragnet is cast in there and it's going to collect all kinds of fish, some of every kind. Now, when you look at the, you have a dragnet. Uh, I'm, I'm no fisherman. I have one fish story. Um, and I think I already told it to you guys. So, you know, I don't even know where to go at this point with that, all that. Um, you will remember the story I told about catching the northern pike up on the, the uh, I believe it was Otter Creek, just in, in from Lake Champlain, up in New York and Vermont there. And um, anybody know that lake, Lake Champlain? Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful spot in the, in the summer. Amen. And uh, so anyways, that's my one fish story, so I'll move on. Um, but you have a dragnet. A dragnet is a, is a net, uh, and as defined by Holman Bible Dictionary, it is a large fishing net equipped with uh, a weighted bottom edge for touching or dragging the, the, the bottom of the, the lake or the sea or, or whatever body of water it is. And at the top of the, the, the net, was, it was topped with wooden floats, allowing the net to be spread across the water. And so you have this net that has two edges, one that's spread across the water and one with edges on the bottom with weights to drag the bottom of the sea. And so it was called a drag net. And the, the, these type of nets were normally let down from a boat and then drawn to shore by a crew positioned on the beach. And we have a couple of instances uh, where, you know, Jesus' disciples, a few of them were fishermen, and they were, they were very good with these types of nets, these drag nets. In fact, when Peter uh, was called by the Lord, right, he was there in his boat, and Jesus says, cast your, your net out into the sea. And remember Peter, you know, classic Peter, he's giving him all, you know, we've been out here all night, blah, blah, blah. And he says, all right, well, at, at, nevertheless, at your word, we'll let out the nets. And the 
catch of fish came in. It was an unbelievable catch. It was just incredible. It was so much so that the text there in that particular passage it just says it's just, it was just, you know, we don't have a number. It was just the bursting. The net was just literally bursting. It was breaking, I think, in that particular one. But then there's another one at the end of, of the book of John, where it was actually after the resurrection, where Jesus meets the disciples up on the shore, the beach there at the uh, Sea of Galilee and and interesting, this time they actually were in a similar situation that Jesus had resurrected and the whole death and the, the whole thing, and they didn't know what to do. And so they said, well, you know, I guess some of them said, we'll go back, to, go back to what we know, go back to fishing. And that's the occasion where Peter was reinstated uh, into the ministry uh, from his denial of Christ. But on that particular occasion, you have the net that was cast and it was, they, they dragged the, the sea, if you will, they dragged the lake, and it was a great catch of fish on that occasion, but in a weird uh, kind of obscure way, we actually have an exact number of the fish that were caught in that particular catch. So the two catches that you see, uh, one at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, one at the end, one was where the enormous catch, the net bursting and all this, breaking open, some of the, the fish were lost, and then you have at the end all of the fish that were, that were caught and kept, and we have this exact number, and it's 153, 153 fish. And um, if you're into numerology or anything, and uh, you can't escape it when you read the Bible, I mean, there's numbers mean stuff in the Bible, amen? I mean, people that go, oh, well, I'm not into the numerology. Well, you know, honestly, study a little bit more because there's a lot to all the numbers of, uh, and all that. And I've searched high and low throughout the scripture, and I can't find anything that was 153. And, you know, you have this 153 catch of fish, and, and I just can't find it. And the only thought that I could come up with is that God knows the exact number. It's such an obscure number, and it tells us this, that God does know the exact number of those that are going to come in and to follow him. And so here we have this dragnet, this parable of the dragnet. And so the dragnet would be cast into the sea or the lake, and it would be drawn up to the shore, and the catch would be caught. And then, of course, then you'd have to go through a process. The fishermen would go through a process of separating out the fish. You, you separate out the good fish and the bad fish. I mean, again, I'm no fisherman, but I think that's what most fishermen do. You know, most of them do it on the fly, right? You know, they're like, is this even worthy of putting in the little bucket or whatever? I mean, we, we need to just catch and release with this guy. Let him, you know, get, 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 get some more, you know, weight to him or something. So, you know, fishermen are kind of making that, that judgment call uh, with that. But on this particular occasion, you have all of the fish that are caught by this particular dragnet, and then they were all sorted out, and the good ones were, were cast away, and, or the, the good ones were kept, and the bad ones were cast away. And so it's kind of a pretty simple parable. I mean, there's not, I mean that's his right. That's, you know, there's nothing really more to explain in terms of the basics, nuts and bolts of the parable. So we move on to the, the meaning of the parable. What, what does it mean? Well, if you go back to the parable of the wheat and the tares that we already covered, you had the wheat and the tares, and the, there was a lot to that one. And if you want to go back and listen to, re-listen to that Bible study on the website, there was, there's a lot to that one. There's actually quite a bit more that could actually be brought out that even I brought out on that particular study. But the main principle that you get to at the end of that study is that there is a final separation. That, the, that the, the wheat was sown into the field, but the tares were sown in as well by an enemy. 
an enemy of God. And they, God said, no, just let them grow up together. And at the end of the age, I'm going to send out my, my angels. And they're going to, they're going to do the harvest and they're going, to, they're going to gather these things up. And there's going to be that separation of the wheat and the tares. And so just as you have the separation of the wheat and the tares, uh, you're going to have the separation of the good fish and the bad fish, as we see here in the parable of the dragnet. Now, first, I want to go through just a couple of things that we learn just in the meaning of the parable. First, the parable tells us that the kingdom of heaven in its present state will endure to the end like that. Like what? Like it is with a mixture of good and bad, with a, with a mixture of the righteous and evil within it. And in other words, there will be a mixture of good and bad. And uh, just like the dragnet gathers in both good fish and bad fish, there's good and bad in the world right up until the end. Right up until the end, until Jesus sends out his angels and there's the harvest, right up until the end when Jesus comes as the Son of Man, like he said, I'm coming in the clouds, right up until the very end, there's going to be this mixture in the world. Now, now many have taken uh, an idea of the, the millennium and they've said, now the, 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 the church is going to usher in just, you know, through the propagation of the gospel and administering the justice and holiness of God and, and, and the discipleship of people, the church is going to bring in the, the complete peace and rule of, of Christ across the earth. And, you know, that's, that, honestly, that's a wonderful idea. It's a wonderful concept. The only problem is it's not correct. <laughs> it, the reason why it's not correct is because we have several teachings of the Lord himself that says that right up until the end, there's going to be a mixture. There's going to be good and bad. And the reason is because the enemy has sown evil into the world and the evil that is placed within the world by the enemy is going to endure to the very end, at which time the Lord will separate out the good from the bad. Amen? So... You know, and I don't say that in any way to discourage anybody or to think that the, the that or or in any way to not say that Jesus and the church are the greatest hope for mankind, amen, in this world. You know, you can put your hope and trust in a lot of things, but put your hope in the Lord Jesus and that the church offering the hope of Jesus is the greatest thing going in this entire world. And that's why we've got to be, as people, we've got to be champions of the local church. Amen. We've got to be champions of the local church because it's the pillar and ground of truth and it's where the lives are touched. It's where the rubber meets the road of meeting, meeting needs and lives and touching lives. And uh, it's, it's an incredible opportunity that we have. Now, we saw in the uh, parable of the wheat and the tares uh, that the evil in the world is, is due to the influence of Satan and those that kind of are sons of his and go in league with him. That, 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 that are the sons of Satan. That the, Remember we talked about the whole idea of sons of, sons of snakes. And, and, and uh, such, th these will be those that, that are the, the offenders and those that practice lawlessness. And we've talked about that a little bit on Wednesday night with our Bible study. And I've explained that before and it's such an important principle for Christians to understand. 
So maybe I should take, I'll take 60 seconds and re-explain that because I think it's so important. And it actually, when I understood this, it's like, okay, I need to learn how to say this so I know that I've got it. And the idea is this, there are, there, the difference between a non-believer and a believer is that a non-believer is one that practices lawlessness and they have never come into a place of forgiveness. They have never come into a place of bowing the knee, repenting, confessing, and being released from the bondage of sin and the penalty thereof. And so they're in a state of, of the offender of the lawlessness, Paul would go even further than that and say objects of wrath and language like this, okay? So, but the, here's the difference between a non-believer and a believer, and that's why it's so important that we don't reject Christ, is because the believer, is rece- the believer receives Christ, receives the gospel, Christ comes in, does everything, saves them, makes them born again of the Father above, Gives them a new life, brand new life. Righteousness, holiness, the holiness of Christ is imputed, imparted to that person. And although they may sin, at times, they're no longer walking in an unbroken course of sin. So please, Christian, when you read the Bible, when you see all this, the offender, the lawlessness, and it seems like, and those who practice all these things, and you look and you go... Wait a second. I, I just did that. I just lied the other day. Oh no. I'm in jeopardy. No, no, no. You need to understand the principle so that you understand and you can relay that to other people. Amen. It's very important. Now, what we want to move into is just kind of the final where the rubber meets the road with this parable of the dragnet, and it centers around this concept of future separation. Future separation. In the future, there will be. A separation. And we see that in verse 49. Take a look at it. It says, So it will be at the end of the age that the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so you have this separation that will occur at the end of the age. There was the separation that we saw in the parable of the wheat and the tares. Here we see it again. In Matthew 25, you see the separation between the sheep and the goats. And so there will be this separation. And it's coming at a future time when the Lord will send out his angels. There will be that work of the, of the separating of the good and the bad. You see, the agents of separation will be these angels. We saw that again in the parable of the wheat, the wheat and the tares. And they will separate out the wicked from the just. The wicked from the just. And again, the reason why I took that 60 seconds to explain that whole concept of the difference between a believer and a non-believer is so that you understand when this separation occurs, because this is a passage. These are the type of studies that when you come to them and you say, okay, we're going to teach the kingdom parables, and you say, ah, you know, the dragnet? Can we just skip on to the next teaching? Where's the one that encourages everybody in the joy of the Lord? You know, how about that one for, you know, October 17th? And, you know, we can, I can just, you know. No, but this is the passage for tonight. And I think it's important. And so we need to understand that, that there will be the separation of the wicked and the just. And so we need to know who are the wicked and who are the just. 
and how we can help the people that are in that category of the wicked, how they can come to a place where they can be justified in Christ. Amen? And so that they can understand what is available to them, that remedy, that cure that is available to them. And so you see this as this final separation, this future separation that's coming. Now the emphasis is upon the, that it's future, it's a future separation of those, and that there also is, there also is this, uh, and you can't get away from it, you can't, you can't really, people have tried to do this, they've tried to go through the teachings of Christ and they've tried to kind of weed out they say, we don't really like these types of teachings, you know, so <laughs> weed out, right? You know, he's the one that's talking to us about the wheat, the weeds, the tares, and we're going to, we're going to weed out his teaching. No, this is, this is the teaching of Christ, you know, and, and he taught these things and, and it's important for us to understand because there is a separation and there, there is a, a finality to this. And, the, and there is that separation where you get to verse 50 and it says, and, and they will be cast. Cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, I'll just touch on it briefly. I touched on it in the, in the uh, teaching on the parable of the wheat and the tares, but I'll just touch on it briefly on the concept of hell. The concept of hell, the, the hell is a, is a real place. It was created for the quarantine of evil. It was created for the, uh, the devil and the fallen angels, the angels that went with him, one-third. One-third of, of the heavenly hosts went with them, and that's why uh, the number 33 is a number that is, you know, is, is kind of part of a lot of the esoteric groups and the you know, secret societies, and they love that 33, the 33rd degree and all that, because it is very much connected to this point of rebellion and the rebelliousness of Satan and the angels, because he did take a third of the angels with him when he fell. So hell is that place created for, and we know that from the scriptures, created for for the devil and the fallen angels. But here we see others of the wicked that are also cast into the furnace, this place of darkness, this place of everlasting darkness. And, and I talked to you a little bit about that, and I talked, when I told you, if you remember, I talked to you about the, the dump, and I told you about the story about, you know, because, you know, out on, on Sarno Road, you know, we have the dump, and I've made, a, I've made several trips out there now, to, uh, to, to, to take old mattresses out there and dump them out there in the, in, you know, just in the hill, you know, there at the, at the dump. And on one of these particular occasions, and you've heard me on this, but, you know, you'll just be like, oh, that sounds great, you know, because you already heard it before. So, you know, the idea of the, the trash dump is you take stuff out to the trash that no longer has a purpose, it's no longer fulfilling its purpose. And so you take it out to the trash dump because that's where, it's, it's, that's where you take it. And so when you go out there, you see, you know, you pull up past the little guard gate and, you see, and they're like, what do you have? I'm like, I got the mattress, you know, and they're like, okay, up the hill and around the corner. And I'm like, okay. And then I pull up and I see nothing but yard waste, piles of yard waste. And then I see all the old refrigerators that have no chance of being refurbished, you know, Rick's restorations out in, in, in Las Vegas will not touch these and bring these back to their former glory. Okay. They are gone. They are useless and they are no longer going to be used. 
And so anyways, that's what the trash dump is. And really, that is what the definition of hell is. The place where that which no longer has a purpose of the, in, the, in the glory of God. And so, so you have to really think about this and think about the finality of it and the importance, again, of not rejecting Christ. At the end of the age, God will separate the good from the bad. There are today in the world people who want to say that they're in the church or they're even in the kingdom. You, you say, well, I go to church. I go to church every once in a while. I go to church. I make it over there, you know, once a week or once a month or once in a while. You know that song that we did open up the heavens tonight? It's a song that was actually done by a church up in Chicago, a large church called Harvest Bible Chapel. And I was actually just, I caught one of their little promo videos this week, and in a couple of weeks they're having, and all churches deal with this, whether, whether they're our size just getting started or whether they're several thousand, you've got this mass migration of people in and out every other week, all this place. And so Harvest Bible Chapel, in two weeks, they're, they're having 100% Sunday. <laughs> so, so James McDonald has gone out. James McDonald's. McDonald. James McDonald. Don't send that up to him. Um, James McDonald has said, we're going we're gonna to go for, we're going to have 100% everybody here. And um, every, I've tried that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because as soon as you say that, you walk right up to the next person. Oh, yeah, that's the weekend that I have my school and my lunch and my, third, and my third birthday party. for. And it's like, okay, all right, we're not going to have 100%. But there are people that say that they're in the church, that they're in the kingdom. And I want to tell you, you cannot, you might be able to fool me, you might be able to fool other people, you might be able to fool a whole host of people, but one person you will not fool is you will not fool Jesus. Remember, you know, in Revelation chapter 1, remember what John saw? His eyes are like blazing fire. Yeah, you know, part of the imagery of God, and the, you know, that people have kind of ran with, you know, the old man with the white hair and all that, part of that actually comes from the present, the, 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 what's presented there in Revelation chapter 1, because you see, you know, Jesus with the hair of white wool, and you see, you know, and then he's got these eyes of fire, and what I always said when I taught that, and every time I've taught it, I've said, you know, you can't pull the wool over Jesus' eyes, because his hair might be like wool, but his eyes are like fire, and he will burn right through anything. You cannot fool the Lord. You cannot fool the Lord, and you can fool a lot of people. But you cannot fool the Lord. You have either truly received the grace of Jesus Christ into your life or you have not done it. You have either turned your life over to the Lord or you have not done it. You can, you, again, you can fool me. You can fool a thousand people. You will not fool the Lord. And this message tonight, whether this was a thousand people tonight, 10,000 or 10, the message is this, that you... I plead with you, do not reject Christ and receive him into your life and truly become a child of God. Again, some will be presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will be presented with the remedy that will cure the deadly sin disease that they have and they will reject it. 
for whatever reason that they have. And I want to just implore anybody that's here to not do that and to receive Christ. You know that he's patient. Peter said in his epistle, he said he's patient, not willing that any should perish and that everyone will come to, to eternal life. But he, but he also has an exact timeline that he's working with. And so it's very important that we understand the importance of this future separation. The point is, don't be that one that is discarded into eternal darkness. Don't do it. When I was teaching the wheat and the tares, you say, well, I don't want to be a tear. I don't want to be a tear that's all bundled up and cast into the fire. Well, then don't be a tear. Be the wheat. Amen. Eat your Wheaties. Be the wheat. Be the wheat. Amen. Remember we talked about that? Be the wheat. Turn your life over to Christ. Choose him with all your heart. Receive him. Receive the grace that he has for you. The love and the grace of Christ that is so great. Oh, it is so great and so awesome. We'll just be really figuring out the, just the levels and layers of God's grace for all eternity. Amen. Well, let's finish up this last little section in verse 51. The responsibility of a disciple. This is kind of the conclusion of all the parables. Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Now let's stop right there. Don't you wish that one of them would have said, no, we don't know. Can you further explain some of this? We need a little bit more detail. You know, I mean, you, you know, you could have had one person, you know, just one, you know, kind of, you know, an, like an Arnold Horshack type of a guy, you know, that could have said, you know, no, Lord Jesus, we don't know. Can you just give us a little bit more? You know, you explain three of them. Can you, under, can you explain the rest of them so that there's no disputes and there's no problems and there's no people saying, well, no, you're wrong on the interpretation. Just one guy. But they said, yes. Yes, Lord. Then look what he says to them. He says, he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And so here's what he tells the disciples. He says that you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility as a person. If you're saying that you understand these things, then you're a person of the kingdom. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that you're, you're, I'm going to put you, you're like a scribe then. You're a person that's understanding these things. And here's the responsibility that you have, that you're like a householder, that's going to bring out some, something old and something new. You're like a householder. You're going to bring out something old and something new. What in the world is he talking about? A householder? Something old, something new? Bringing out of, of the treasure. The word of God is like a treasure chest. It's a, it's a treasure chest. It's, it's, it's compared to an ocean, really. A, a sea, a crystal sea. The imagery in the Old Testament in the tabernacle was that of the brazen laver. If you look at the tabernacle study of all of the pieces of the tabernacle, the, the brazen laver is the one piece that we do not have the dimensions of it. 
You say, well, how are we going to build it? Well, they, they, I believe they have the dimensions, but for whatever reason, the dimensions of that, and I've done this careful study. In fact, chapter two of my book is detail about this particular thing, and there's so many, de- you know, the exact inches and the exact thing, dimensions of every little thing, and you come to the brazen labor, and there's no instruction on how big it is. And the point is because it represents the word of God. It's that place where the priests, after they went to the brazen altar and made the sacrifice, now they're a bloody mess. Where they would go to refresh themselves is they would go to the brazen laver. They would take one of the pitchers. They would never just go put their hands into the brazen laver because you don't bring your defilement into the brazen laver. You would use a pitcher to draw water from the laver, the pure water of the word, to refresh you. Paul picks up on this theme in chapter 5 of Ephesians. He talks about the husband and the bride, the bride being washed with the water, washing of the water of the word. And this is the imagery that you have here. And so there's a principle there that we don't know the dimensions of it. Therefore, we can't exhaust the resources of it. We can't exhaust the resources of it. And so you go through your Christian life, you go through your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ and you learn some stuff. And there's some stuff that you've learned. Maybe you've been following the Lord for 10 years and you've learned some stuff 10 years ago. Maybe there's some of us here that have been following the Lord for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, however long. And you're learning stuff and you're learning stuff and you're learning stuff. And then today you picked it up. Today you picked it up and you looked at a passage and you said, whoa, what is this? And so the, the disciple is the person that put, brings out of the treasury something old and something new. And that word that God is going to give you is that very word that brings life to the situation that you face in your life. It's the very word that you need. And sometimes when you come to the old things and you pull out of what is the old thing, you need the new thing. Amen. And that's, that's, that's an understanding. And so the Lord wants his people to understand this thing. And here's the importance of it for us as it relates to the dragnet. As it relates to the dragnet. Because there's a whole world around us that needs to know the Lord. And, they need, and, the, and, and, and we need to bring the word of God to bear. We need to be people of the word that we're able to, we're able to talk to people. We're able to, I'm not talking about, you know, oh no, he's saying I need to be like a theologian and I need to be, you know, no, you need to be able to just take out of what of, what of old that you've learned and that of, that of the new that you've learned. And, and, and bring it to bear upon your situation and the people that might come across your path. And how do you do it, Christian? You always do it in love. You always do it in love. He says in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. In fact, at my other church in Orlando, we had a, a, a pulpit. And um, I had actually Ingrid, who's sit, sitting here on the front row, I had her get those letters, those, uh, I don't know where she got them, staples or one of those places. And I, and I said, I want that verse right at the top of the pulpit. And she went out and she put, speak the truth 
in love, Ephesians 4.15. And it was always right there at the top of the, top of the pulpit. Because we don't, we don't open the word to, to bash anybody. We don't open up the word to belittle. We don't open up the word to, to bring some type of a, a burden. But we bring the word to, to bless. And we bring a, a word to bring the word of the Lord that through the spirit and through the power of the word that he, that he might bring the, the reproof that is necessary for that particular person or that particular situation. So we always do it in love. Amen? And so let's finish up this chapter. I just want to read these verses and then we'll, we'll be done. Jesus, it says this, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they, they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom? And these mighty works. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The, the name of the Bible study was called Don't Reject Jesus. Don't Reject Jesus. Jesus finishes up the teaching of the seven kingdom parables. He goes back to his home country, like his county, his home county. You know, Nazareth in Galilee and Nazareth. And he goes back up and he's teaching and he's just everywhere Jesus went, even if they didn't like him, you know, they, they sent the, the, the Romans and the, uh, the, 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 the chief priests sent the, the soldiers to, to uh, arrest Jesus. This was before the actual arrest, but on another occasion. And they, and they got there and they said, who is this guy? No one has ever spoken like this man. Here they are again. They're saying, no one, where did he get this? And then they said, wait a second. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary? This is Mary's son. This is, this is Judas's brother. Not Judas Iscariot, but Jude, the Jude, the author of the, the book of Jude. That's who it was. And, and he said, isn't he the brother and sister of all these that are with us? Where did he get all this? And you know what it says? It says they were offended. They were offended. And the bottom line is this. You think Jesus, do you think Jesus presented the word that he wanted people to, to hear, did you, do you think he presented it in love? I mean, if he's asking me to stand up here and deliver it in love, do you think he did? you think he went back to his hometown and taught these things in love? And guess what happened? They were offended. They were offended. And people rejected him. And the sad thing is, it says that he did not do many things of the miraculous nature there because of their unbelief. People Want, you want to see God do something incredible in your life? Just receive him. Just receive him. I want to finish up with this last verse. One of my favorite verses. I bring this up every other Saturday. He says, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him, is the verse before this. But as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So don't reject, accept and receive the free gift of God's grace, the free gift of his son, and have everlasting life. And be that disciple that understands that responsibility of the disciple to be that householder taking from the word that those things of old, those things that are new.